So what we're seeing across the board in the economy is unexpectedly robust, solid growth down to the most fundamental level. And yet what you're going to read about, because bad news sells papers, as they used to say, even though we don't sell papers anymore, they sell sells clicks, I guess now, yeah. is that it ain't happening that way in reality, folks. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill up the wall with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach, starring... Jeff. And Jake. McClure. And we did it. Did we did we, did we it? We did, did it. We, we oh, said our names. Wow. Oh my wow. goodness. Oh, we're so excited we can say our names. Wow. In unison. It's a little hard. A collective 110 years of practice. And we finally got to where we can say our names together. Yes, sometimes. Yeah. Enough so that when we do it, we celebrate. It's amazing. Mm. <clears throat> so right. we are the personal wealth coach. Not only do we try to be in sync with our voices, uh, with often failure being the outcome, but sometimes success, uh, we also offer views, opinions, facts on the economy, on finance, all that good stuff. Um, but before we get started on that, we have some disclosures that we need to do. Would you like to mm -hmm. begin? He's going to tell what do we be? Oh, yes. I can, I can begin with the fact that the personal wealth coach is not only the name of a radio program, it's also the name of an SEC registered investment advisor uh, based in Salado, Texas. And the two guys here are also principals at the investment advisor. But the fact that I said SEC at the beginning has no meaning. It does not mean, does not yet yeah, has meaning. It means it that meaning. we're registered with the SEC. It's just that the SEC neither approves nor disapproves of anything we do. Well, they can, they will be ready to disapprove, but they never really approve of anything that we do. Right. We, uh, as he said, registered with the SEC, but that doesn't mean that they give us a thumbs up on anything. Uh, in fact, uh, the opposite is always the case in that the S Securities and Exchange Commission does not advocate for anyone. Um, they advocate for the public, not for companies. So this is for their, for their good. All right. Can you hear me better now or can I hear you better? I can hear you just fine. Perfect. You're not popping anymore. So you want to give the, good. the deem? The information that we present on this educational, not in not advisory program, even though the, we, it is the personal wealth coach, we're not actually trying to coach you as to wealth. We're not giving investment advice. We're giving but education. The information we give, right. The educational information that we provide on this radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the completeness or accuracy of said information. There you go. Now you have been very thoroughly legalistic. Um, we're not guaranteeing anything. We're not warranting anything, but we're going to say it anyway. <laughs> we, could say, we could say investment values may be higher or lower when purchased and sold. Or, or, sold. E or even... If they're not purchased and sold. Right. Yeah. Maybe. No. Will be. They will be will different. Be. If it's an investment, it will be. Yeah. All right. And uh, let's see. We've got another one. We don't pay for this radio program. We're not paid to do the radio program. We do advertise on the radio station for the program, but so does the radio station. 
So we're in partnership in advertising it, but we don't pay for it. This we've been doing this for whew, a long time. We've got we've been uh, old older Baldy Elder Baldy is that more respectful? Is uh, responsible for having started this radio program back in 1996, which some of the listeners weren't born yet. We have we have a couple of questions waiting for us out there. Do you want to move to those next? Sure. Uh, uh, our, our our most uh, loyal questioner, Inquisitor John, has two two questions out there. The anyway. uh, the question first question subject is jobs jobs jobs. Steve, not, he's dead. Not Steve. He's dead. Yeah. Oh. Um. Uh. His question is or statement. Wall Street Journal said a week or so ago that the U.S. is at full employment, yet it's reported that there are 10 million jobs available. It seems that every time a positive jobs number is released, the market falls. Please explain all this in layman's terms. Can I hit full employment and you want to handle the rest of the question? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, full I'm, employment. This is exciting. It's a good question. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's like a multifaceted good question because the term full employment is almost a joke amongst economists it's like saying the ocean level is full what does that even mean because we're still having new babies so full employment in 1960 is not full employment in 1961 or even in january to february it has a lot to do with workplace participation so full employment is an imaginary concept that doesn't actually ever happen. Uh, there's no such thing unless everyone that is able to pick up anything is working. Full employment is going to have all kinds of disclaimers, meaning those above the age of, of uh, 18 to 54 or and so on. So full employment is used almost as a layman's term to say, hey, we've got the most number of people. Everybody that wants a job has a job, basically. And I don't know, all the times that I've heard that term being used, I have personally known people that were looking for jobs during those periods. So just keep in mind, full employment is aspirational. We never ever are going to be there. Go ahead. Now you well, can get the rest. Employment well, employment from an economics point of view, is, it varies over time, and we become more efficient. So full employment is a lower unemployment rate. Right. But at any given minute, moment, there are people who are quitting, people who, for whatever reason, the, the company shut down for whatever reason. There's a certain minimum number of unemployed people out there looking for work at any given moment. Um, just like the housing market right now, is, we call it saturated. Basically, uh, it means that um, there's just rate. Basically, we would say we've got full buying in the housing market, where there's just should be no empty houses sitting around waiting for somebody. But in fact, there's a certain small percentage of houses on the market at any given moment. So even though we have the the housing market fully employed, if you will, uh, there's still going to be a few unoccupied houses on the market for a short period of time. There's still going to be some people out of work for whatever reason, for a short period of time that are considered to be unemployed. By the way, the definition of unemployed is important. Yeah. It means you've been, you've looked for work in the last 90 days, but you're not currently working. That's all it means. Yeah. And there's going to be a small number of people who've looked for work in the last 90 days that currently don't have a job. 
the question is whether it like years and years ago, um, when I first learned economics, basically, full, <laughs> full employment was four percent. Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I actually remember. I actually remember a time when they said full employment was six percent. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and I, that was back. That was that was earlier in my career. Right. That that was early enough that I read about it, and the and the people teaching on the subject laughed like, "Oh, how could they think that?" <laughs> when the reality is that really was as full as we'd gotten for a long time, so they called it full. And one of the things, one of the reasons it's come down is because of the internet. Yeah. Basically, job seekers and people who want to hire can get together much more efficiently now than they could in the past. Um, so 4% is still generally considered to be pretty much full employment. Yes, we got down to 3.5 I wish they before would, the pandemic. I wish that we could just change that to pretty much full empl employment. But that's yeah, not soundbite worthy. So I, I think it's sound. I'm going to say pretty much full employee. Yeah, but Microsoft Word would underline it in red if you said pretty much in yeah. front of full employment. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to say from now on, we have reached, officially reached pretty much full employment. And <laughs> it just like doesn't that, sound so official, but it's yeah. true. So there's a reason that the market goes down when employment goes up. Yeah. It doesn't always, by the way. The Federal Reserve is, char is charged to do two things. Um, it, it's charged to maintain the value of money, and it's also charged to achieve full employment. It, it, it has a third piece in there that is a less priority, but in the same thing to, to protect employment, and that is to calm the marketplace. Right. Uh, so it, the, op <laughs> the opioid <laughs> epidemic should probably be blamed on yeah. The Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve anyway, needs to get more involved in the opioid epidemic immediately. Uh, so the, <laughs> the issue is that when there's a really good employment number, like we just saw, it causes the market to dip a little bit, as it did late Friday, because full employment, we're pretty much at full employment, which means the Federal Reserve has no legitimate reason to keep interest rates low and keep pumping money into the economy anymore. We've got inflation down which is maintaining the value of the currency. We had, and then, but, but they allowed inflation to go back up again. And now they've got to beat inflation down, which means they're going to raise interest rates. If employment gets too high, theoretically, they would raise interest rates over that too. So the concern is that if the economy is running too hot, the Federal Reserve has an obligation to slow it down. And if they start slowing it down, they're going to raise interest rates which is going to impact certain stocks, which leads us to John's other question. Well, do you mind if I hit just one more sure. piece on that? Right. This, this, just to hit all the pieces of it. Are you piece hitting? I, I'm, I'm, I just think pieces just needs to be hit. Yeah. That's better than pinch hitting. Yeah. That'd be painful. I, I don't know how to pinch and hit at the same, but yeah, they do it in sports occasionally. It seems like it'd be against the rules, but anyway, um, Employment's a lagging indicator. Sometimes, very rarely, it's a concurrent indicator. And I love the word concurrent because it means the same thing as current. <laughs> um, anyway, back, back to concurrent and current. That just means a present indicator versus one that happened already. Uh, let me explain that a little bit. Let's go layman. If you're a small business owner and... Um, things are going really well for you right now. You've got a lot of money in the bank. You start saying, hey, I need some help. I need to start hiring people. Generally speaking, 
if you're doing the same level of well you did last month or the month before, you haven't raised your earnings at all, you're not saying I need to hire a bunch of new people. So it, that decision to hire generally comes after you've already had earnings go up. The exception to that is in things like natural disasters and war, like what happened in, in March and April of 2020, the pandemic hit and it was a concurrent indicator the labor market dropped because a lot of people got laid off right then. And it was a signal of what was happening at that very moment. But it is in no way a leading indicator. What's more, when you hire somebody, everybody's productivity goes down. This is true no matter what the business. Unless you're hiring somebody that's already worked for you, they've got to be trained. And the people that are capable of training are probably the people that are the best at doing the job which means they're not doing the job when they're training and therefore they've got two people doing less work than one person was doing. You can see productivity hit there. It has to happen as part of the growing pains of, of handling new business. You've got to train people before you go forward. But that's another reason why the market might drop on employment news being so good because productivity has been going up really well for the last two years. We're starting to see that drop as new people are coming in and we're just hiring anybody we can grab because there's so few people looking for jobs. Productivity's dropping and you've got more. Mm -hmm. Well, productivity is another question. Productivity last quarter was up 6. What, 6.6%. Yeah, we had a huge uptick. But when you have a massive amount of hiring, you can expect that to drop. Well, sometimes. Sometimes. I agree. And the reason is if they're hiring, it, we don't know who they're hiring. If they're hiring back people who already know what they're doing. Which is not the case probably anymore. It probably we'll was see. before, but we'll see. Yeah, go ahead. But that was the other, we will talk about that. Okay. Uh, KTM is back online a couple of minutes ago. Okay. Good. Thank you, Jim. Um, the other thing he asked about, and he asked about rate hike and value investing, which I think is a very insightful question, John. Uh, why would higher interest rates cause growth stocks to fall? And it has, by the way. If you look at the highest growth stocks out there, on average, the average high growth, large cap growth company stock in the S&P 500, some of those things are down in bear market territory right now. Uh, meanwhile, and we pointed that out when we were talking about markets a little earlier, Slightly smaller stocks, mid-cap, in the value sector have done exceptionally well over the last year as interest rates, as the rumors of interest rates and the story of interest rates rising and so on has come on board. The, the reason is, if you, talk about, you think about a company that's growing really, really fast, and I don't mean the stock price is growing really, really right. fast. I mean, the company itself is growing really, really fast. They're hiring Many people. Of, they're buying right. equipment. Uh, they're buying real estate. Some of those companies have literally no earnings. Remember, Tesla had no earnings for a long time. Shoot, Amazon had no earnings for a long time. Uh, they're reinvesting all of their money, but they're growing faster than their revenue. Where are they getting the money to grow faster than their revenue grows? And the answer is they borrow it. And when they can borrow it at very, very, very low interest rates, it isn't hard for them to reach a profitability point and then have their profit jump down the road. Tesla is a wonderful company, but it's running, it has a huge, relative to the size of the, the physical size of the company, I'm not talking about the stock value, it has a huge debt. 
I mean, uh, Elon Musk may have billions of dollars, but he's borrowed more billions than he has. I say he, if the company's the company. actually borrowed it. Yeah. Uh, to build their new plants and to, to spool up production. And the more money they borrow, the greater the interest rate load they have. But as long as interest rates, and they have been, for the money they're borrowing are lower than inflation, in essence, the banks are paying Tesla and all these other companies to borrow money. Now, if interest rates start up, and, te- and a lot of these business loans, by the way, roll over every 90 days or sometimes every 30 days. They roll over and, and get a new interest rate in a short period of time. It, it's kind of like if you've ever built a house from scratch and you get what's called a bridge loan to build the house, that interest rate you commonly resets as often as once a month. So if interest rates go up, it becomes more expensive for these companies that have great promise but not a lot of revenue to do well. And even the ones with a lot of revenue, if they've got a lot of borrowing going on, it becomes more expensive for them to do business as long as they're subsisting on borrowed money. So what that does is it cuts into their future earnings. And since the price of those high growth stocks is based on a calculation of the present value of their future earnings, I know that sounds a little esoteric, but basically how much of those future earnings worth today is based on interest rates. The higher interest rates go, the lower the present value of those stocks go and the more sophisticated investors start to sell them. And when they start to sell them, the people who aren't sophisticated see the price go down. So then they pile on and sell too and the market overreacts. Yeah. So let me, let me give this a different way because um, obviously venture capital is also another place that these startup companies can get money other than just borrowing it. So Tesla, Apple, Facebook, Meta now, uh, all of these folks received a lot of venture capital money. Well, the venture capital money is a lot easier to get when interest rates are down because that money can go into long-term bonds if interest rates are really good and they don't have to take any risk. So venture capital gets money easier during low interest rates the same way that companies get money easier during lower interest rate. Uh, And this is why raising interest rates makes money harder to acquire. It's more expensive, which can lower inflation. This is why the Federal Reserve is talking about raising interest rates. Um, To finish off John's question, how does that help value stocks? Well, value companies are mostly, now this is not 100% true, but they're mostly in a position where they are paying as they go, their revenue and everything. They don't have a lot of loans on them or they wouldn't be value stocks. They haven't got a lot of money borrowed. Uh, Our business, for example, has very little money borrowed, next to no money borrowed, and as a result would be considered, if we were a corporation, would be a value stock. Um, And value stocks over the long term, and when I talk about long term, I'm talking about decades here, tend to outperform growth stocks, as crazy as that sounds. Over the long, long term, historically, value stocks have outperformed growth stocks. So when interest rates start back up to normal, again, this is based on historical evidence, growth stocks tend to not do as well when interest rates rise and value stocks tend to take the lead in the market. And I've seen a lot of statistics on this. The one that seems to be the most trusted is that nine out of 10 small growth companies fail before they make it into the mid cap category because 
they came up with a technology. I mean, think about when when PayPal was purchased by eBay, which was the beginning of Elon Musk's fortune. He was in they were in competition with about 14 other companies that were nearly identical to PayPal. And it was simply eBay choosing PayPal over the others that caused Elon Musk's fortune to jump. So keep that in mind as we go along as well. That that uh, growth companies, if one out of 14 or 15 is still around from that period, that's a good definition. Now that one company and the companies that followed after had m- amazing earnings and people hear about this you know, they really hit it big. It's those other ones that you don't really hear about anymore. Where in the value companies, they're trying to maintain a profit. They're not trying to grow over rapidly. They're trying to maintain the value of their assets. There's even an element of that in the market now called pick and shovel. I don't know if you heard of that. It's a yeah, group. Of, yeah. uh, in the gold rushes, for instance, the California gold rush, the people who made the big fortunes were not the people who found gold. People who made the big fortunes are the people who showed up with picks and shovels to sell to the people who were looking for gold. And if you think of the pick and shovel hardware company as being a value company and the rising gold mining companies all over the place in California during the gold rush as being growth companies, that kind of outlines it. One's kind of boring and the other one's exciting and the boring people actually wound up making more money than the exciting people. NVIDIA selling GPUs, graphic processing units to the crypto miners that's in- <laughs> <laughs> well let's uh let me hit on some odds and ends out there that i think are important um in this time when i think there's some inappropriate fear going around about the market more than half of the u.s companies that are traded on the new york stock exchange have issued fourth quarter results earnings so far have come in at 5.4 percent above expectations that's phenomenal Now, the average earnings surprise on the upside for the last 20 years was 3.7%. So the things are still charging along very, very nicely. Uh, Now, the thing I think people are missing is in the second quarter of 2020 and in the third quarter of last year, we saw 16% rises in, I mean, 16% above estimates for earnings growth. So the fact that earnings growth is not rising 16% more than expected is not bad. Uh, 5.4% is great. And that brings it back to the other side of this interesting story. There are uh, a couple of headlines that I saw. Um, what was it? U.S. businesses' slowest, slowest rate growth in the past however many months or whatever. In, the Institute for Supply Management comes out with an index where they talk to the um, purchasing managers and say, how how much extra stuff are you ordering? How are you ordering to make stuff with for manufacturers? And they rate it on a scale. And 50 is the dividing point on the scale. If it's below 50, then orders are falling off. They're, they're ordering less stuff to make stuff with, which meant things are actually slowing down. If it's above 50, things are speeding up. 60 is generally considered to be unsustainable. You just can't grow that fast. Uh, 55 is really knocking it out of the park and, and, and it's probably sustainable for the long period of time. But that headline about uh, manufacturing activity slipped to a 14-month low is in the Wall Street Journal. 
and we had this in the newsletter, the reality is the ISM manufacturing index was 57.6, which is still astonishingly high, but the headline was slowest since 2020. Come on, guys. Yeah. You're, you're, there's no, there's nothing slow about 57.6. And this is, this is a pet peeve of ours and has been for a long time. When you're talking about growth and the speed of growth, um, it's kind of like being at a racetrack. If you hit the accelerator, okay, so shrinkage would be going backwards. You put it in into reverse. That's shrinkage. That's true. And that's, you're that's actual about, slowing. Yeah, that's slowing. That is called slowing. You're going backwards. You're not. You're not maintaining. You can slow your acceleration, and that you're not accelerating as fast as you were, but you're still getting faster than you were every second. And that's what we're talking about here. We're growing, just not as fast as we were. But the headline makes it sound like we're shrinking, which is, that's what newspapers are for. News, news places. Why do we still say papers? I don't know. We, same three, we say dial. Yeah, we don't haven't dialed dial. in a long time. Dial. I have dials on my special um, board. Well, no, for, I mean, we, we talk about dialing a number. We At least I still right. occasionally say dialing a number. Yeah. We don't dial a number. We don't even... I, Punch the numbers in. In many cases, I, we cl- we click them in. I don't actually say dial a number. I just say call a number. But yeah. So at some point, people won't say newspapers, and they'll look at us funny for saying newspapers because they never had the actual paper. And oh, the same boy. thing's true, by the way, about um, the durable goods orders that supposedly dropped, and it was terrible. And that came, that made some headlines in the in the sites, the news media stuff about the economy. Yeah, but. The problem is month to month, durable goods orders bob up and down quite a lot, and they bob up and down quite a lot for a very good reason. When you order a bunch of 787s or 767s or whatever Boeing is selling this week, it causes, because those are considered to be durable goods, they're expected to last a while when you buy them. They, they're not, you don't throw them away after one use, at least you try not to. The durable goods orders jump up really high. If you remove the airplanes from the orders, by the way, in December, the orders rose. So what we're seeing across the board in the economy is unexpectedly robust, solid growth down to the most fundamental level. And yet what you're going to read about, because bad news sells papers, as they used to say, even though we don't sell papers anymore, they sell, it sells clicks, I guess now, yeah. is that it ain't happening that way in reality, folks. All right. Sounds good. We're about out of time for this week. If you enjoyed this presentation, or if you hated it, um, we have uh, the ability for you to talk to us. Uh, we also give fiduciary investment advice as a firm off the air, obviously. Uh, and if you'd like to talk to us in person, we have voicemail waiting during the weekend, real live people during the week, locally at 254-947-1111. You can go toll-free toll at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com, where you can sign up for our newsletter, read our newsletter, uh, listen to radio programs going back lots of years. You can go anywhere for our podcast, anywhere that provides podcasts anyway. Uh, you can also use the contact form on our webpage or email addresses jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. 
I hope the rest of your week is fantastic, and thank you very much for listening.